0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. It's great to be together, guys, and uh, it's awesome to worship, awesome to sing those songs about uh, God and His, uh, His love and His uh, character. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, called Social Distancing Today. Uh, how many of you guys have heard this phrase, you're canceled? Okay, if you, uh, all, the, all the teens know this phrase, uh, teenagers out there. You've been canceled. Uh, this is kind of a social media thing, and uh, you know, where people get canceled, usually people of power, people of celebrity. Uh, it has value. There's this quote from uh, Anne Charity Hudley, who is the chair of Linguistics, linguistics of african america for uc santa barbara she explains why cancel culture is important especially for minority groups or people who don't uh, have power she says canceling is a way to acknowledge that you don't have the power to change structural inequality but as an individual you can still have power beyond measure when you see people canceling blank and she chose a certain celebrity to put there but i won't say who that was Canceling other people is a collective way of saying, hey, we elevated your social status, your economic prowess, but now we're not going to pay attention to you the way we once did. I may have no power, but the power I have is to ignore you. The power I have, celebrity person, is to ignore you. You've been canceled. So, you know, amen, that might apply to our relationships with celebrity. In my opinion, we probably worship celebrity a little bit too much anyway. Um, You know, it's kind of like the godly... The gods of the past, of relig- uh, these religious gods that people would worship in their dramas, get caught up in their dramas. Now we've replaced that with celebrities and powerful people, uh, and their drama. You know, we get we get caught up in worshiping uh, human beings. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that today. But what we are going to talk about what happens when that cancel culture, when you, you, saying you're canceled, happens in our real relationships that's not good if cancel culture invades our real relationships but it really can happen can't it you're hurt by someone and in your heart you go you're canceled and uh you know i'm i'm done i'm done with this relationship i'm separating myself from you uh you know and i've certainly felt that way i've been hurt before and i felt like i'm just gonna keep my distance from this person i'm gonna you know i've been hurt by them i'm just gonna you know we're we're good it's not that i don't forgive them i'm just gonna keep my distance and, you know, there, now there is such a thing as toxic relationships. There are, are such things as abusive relationships, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about kind of the everyday, you know, interactions that we have that can sometimes stick with us and, and, and can end up causing divisions between us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have healthy boundaries, but there's a biblical mandate, and that is to have godly relationships. And so that's what we've been talking about in this, uh, in this series. The bigger picture of biblical relationships the Jesus way of relationships is to create a safe space. And that's the title of our lesson today. We can truly create a safe space. A big part of being a follower of, of, of Jesus is learning how to have these safe spaces, how to, how to have healthy conflict, how to work these things out instead of just canceling people. How do we work it out? And so we've been ta- just to kind of review what we've been talking about, and uh, we've been spending some time on relationships this year. You know, the Bible spends a lot of time on relationships. And we saw that with our first lesson, Six Feet Apart. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament. Uh, and, 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 and they talk about all areas of our life that God, God's intention to help us change and help us grow and meet our needs is through our relationships with each other. So you can't be a disciple of Jesus apart from relationships with each other. And God's design is to take the spaces between us and bring them back together together. Uh, behind the mask, uh, that lesson Steve talked about removing the, the, the walls that we put up, the facades that we put up, the power of vulnerability. There's something so powerful about vulnerability. And, and if you want to get close to someone, start by being vulnerable, and, and usually they will reciprocate with vulnerability as well. Curbside pickup, just to remind you, that was about the things that we need that we have in common. Uh, and, and Dave talked about how we all have a lot of commonality. There's a lot of things that we all need. And then my friend Marshall Mead spoke last week about uh social distancing and he gave a great uh, a great uh overview of a story from the old testament of david and his son absalom and how uh th- this huge distance formed and that can really happen in our relationships. so we're kind of continuing on in that thought from marshall last week in how do we how do we practically overcome the, that social distance and create a safe space so that's what we're talking about today before i go any farther i want to say a prayer so uh, please bow with me and let's pray and we'll be looking in, into uh, the word God, we just want to pray right now that you help us to uh, uh, learn from you, learn from your word, be led by your Holy Spirit. We want to pray that you would be with us, God, wherever we are in our lives and our families, that you would guide us and direct us. Help us all to learn something from your word right now. I want to also pray for our country, uh, for those who are hurting. We pray for the Trump family and uh, that they would overcome the coronavirus, uh, the, uh, the, the, the president and first lady. Pray for others who've been affected, Governor Chris Christie and others. Uh, God, I know the Bible says in, in, in First Timothy to pray for our leaders and for those in positions of authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives and so that the gospel can spread because you want all men to be saved. And uh, God, we do pray for all the leaders of our country. We pray for this uh, election coming up. We pray for the season that we're in. And uh, we pray that you would guide all of that uh, we pray for, for uh, those in our, in our congregation who are battling illness. We pray for Mia Steberg to have victory. Uh, God, we pray for uh, many who are are, are, are hurting with uh, the different things that are going on in our country with racial injustice and, and uh, the, the different tensions that people are feeling or, or the hurts that people feel. Just pray that you would heal all of those things, that, especially here in the body of Christ in the South Bay Church. We really want to be there for each other. Guide us and speak to us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So when we talk about safe space, safe space does not equal no conflict. Space, safe space doesn't mean, okay, no conflict. And, and so Marshall talked about that last week. We can be conflict avoiders. And that, that uh, convicted me. You know, I, I think I can, by nature, be uh, a conflict avoider. And that's not, I'm not the only one. You know, A lot of us want to avoid conflict. And it's, it's becoming more and more of a trend to avoid conflict. There's a book... Uh, that, that it's called the coddling of the American mind. And there's a link in the video description. Uh, my son, Marshall told me anytime you refer to something, you should put a link in the video description. So there's a few links in there today. So you can find that actual book as well as the, the article on counts, cancel culture that I read from a minute ago. But, uh, so he says this, he says the culture of safetyism is based on a fundamental misunderstanding of human nature and the dynamics of trauma and recovery. It is vital that people who survive violence become habituated to the ordinary cues and rem- reminders woven into the fabric of daily life. Avoiding triggers is a symptom of PTSD, not a treatment for it. So what uh, Jonathan Haidt is saying is, is we can't have a culture of safetyism where you just try to avoid no difficulties, right? no hardships, no tension, no... Uh, you know, no difficulties because humans are what uh, so psychologists and and what Jonathan Haid calls anti-fragile. In other words, we we don't thrive in in just a lack of of difficulty. We thrive in difficulty. Like that's what helps us to grow is is hardship. Uh, you know, when we are we need to be challenged to improve. If you think about the areas that you've grown in in your life, you had to be challenged in those areas. Uh, my daughter is a is a soccer player and. Unfortunately, she can't play soccer yet, which is frustrating. But she's doing a lot of training, and so she gets up at 6 a.m. and goes to the beach on, on Thursdays and runs in the sand. And it is intense suffering. But why? What What is the objective? It's to make her a better soccer player. And, and we know that. We get that. You know, exercise muscles, our minds. Debate helps us clarify what we believe and what we what we think. Or write. You know, difficult. I had to write a lot of difficult papers for school. I hated it, but it, it helped me grow. It helped me grow as a thinker and uh, and so th- that's true in our relationships that conflicts the the goal of of conflict it would be to make those relationships better that we come out of those on the other side even better you know i learned this lesson of not avoiding conflict the hard way at uh, a career i had in uh, in sales i was in sales and marketing in the computer industry for six years and uh, you know we had this situation where we had a, a I was working for a a big company that sold uh, a lot of, we basically sold through mail, through mail order. We were the first authorized Apple reseller to sell through the mail back in the 90s, the last half of the 90s. I worked there from 94 to 2000. But anyway, we moved our warehouse from Tennessee, or from here in Torrance to Tennessee to be closer to a FedEx hub. And a lot of things went wrong with that transition. Things would get lost, orders would get messed up. And some of the salespeople, they, the way they would handle these difficulties or these challenges would be just to kind of avoid them, you know, hope they would go away. And, uh, you know, with, with orders that had, had gone through, they they would just kind of, well, I got the money, we made that order, and, and you know, then they would kind of avoid or ghost the, the customer, you know. And that's not the way to do it. You know, you learn if you're a salesperson, when you have challenges, when you have conflict, when you have issues, the best thing is to get ahead of it and, and run right into that problem. And so I learned that the hard way to go, when there's a problem with an order, I need to call that customer and tell them, hey, there's a problem with the order. Even if it was my fault, I want to be honest, it was my fault, or it's, here's, we're moving the warehouse, I'm really sorry this happened, what can we do to make it right? And we had, I had one order, I don't even remember the specific order, but it was for something small, it was for a modem. And uh, something happened with the warehouse moving, and this one uh, uh, client was frustrated because it wasn't getting there in time, but I remember calling him and 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 working it out. What he said later was that I called him and worked it out and that interaction caused him to develop trust with me and he became my biggest client and in fact, he became uh, the client where I did most of my business uh, with and uh, I mean I was able to buy my first house because of this one client you know and uh Uh, And it all was from that one modem order that went wrong and and earning his trust. And so, you know, times of of difficulty, times of tension or times of hardship can, the the goal again is that we come out better. Uh, There's a lot of resources on this, on healthy conflict. There are so many great books. One that really influenced me and uh, I go back to again and again, is called Crucial Conversations if you haven't read that book. It's not a Christian book. It's a kind of a more of a business book, but the principles are really biblical and there's a lot of great Handles tools for things, uh, dealing with facts, not stories. Uh, looking for that pool of shared meaning. There's a, a lot of, uh, of of great uh, just. It's a great guide to guide you through how to the, the the subtext subheading is tools for talking when stakes are high. You know when you we can tend to get emotional. Uh, how do you kind of move through that safely? How do you move through those kinds of things safely? Another, another uh, resource is. Pete Scazzaro, um, he wrote the book, emotionally. I read his book, Emotionally Healthy Church, but he, he writes a lot of emotionally healthy uh, kind of book series. Uh, there's a video that Dave Blanco sent me recently called, What's the Difference Between Clean Fighting and Dirty Fighting? And there's a link in the video description to that uh, video. It's a great video just about how, his point is that a lot of us, even though we're ups, we still, uh, we deal with conflict like we're two year olds. Right. right, we deal with conflict like we're little kids. And uh, not to say too much of that about that, but we saw a little bit of that last Tuesday, in my opinion. You know, it was a little bit of like, I don't want my kids to see that, right? Because they weren't handling conflict in a in a, 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 a in an adult way, in my opinion. Um, and so that's what this is about: is how do we handle conflict in uh, in in a in a way that's righteous, in a way that uh, is godly? Um, so the basic premise of Scripture that I want to talk about today is that sin separates, but love Reconciles. sin separates but love reconciles uh, you know the the story that marshall shared last week uh, with david and absalom and he referenced this kind of weird part of the story where joab uh enlisted the help of this woman to to put on weird you know clothes like she was in mourning and have this interaction with david but one of the things that she said here is she said uh god does not take away life Instead, he devises ways that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. Second Samuel 14, 14. That's who God is. God doesn't uh, separate people. He tries to bring people back into a relationship with him. And that, and that was very, very true with that story that, that, uh, that, that Marshall told. You know, we were not designed for separation. We were designed for intimacy. And you see that in the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, that when sin came into the world, it caused separation. You know, you know the where where God is going. He's there in the garden, going. Where are you, Adam? And Adam says, "I was afraid, so I hid." And 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 ultimately, we we become separated from God because of our sin. Um, Dustin and I took a trip to uh, Ukraine, and back in 2008, it was our, our first time. That's the first and only time we've ever been to Europe, but uh, we were able to go over there for a conference. And uh, you know, it was it was you know, if you've ever been to a, a different country, we don't speak the language and stuff. You know, you feel that. You're a little on edge because you're like, I don't know how to get around here. Our cell phones didn't work and stuff. And so we were there in in Ukraine and we were riding this uh, train, you know, the underground, kind of a subway type train. And uh, Marco uh, and, and Michelle, our friends, were with us. And somehow, I don't know how it happened. It was a really crowded train, but somehow Marco and I got off and then the doors closed and Michelle and Dessa were stuck on the train and then it just i just remember being like i'm on this side of the of the of the door closing dust is on that side he's like ah, ah, ah. And then the train goes away and it's like you're taking away my wife you know and uh marco and i just were like what do we do you know we don't have cell phones at work uh we don't know where that train is taking them uh we, we didn't even know what we were doing just to get here so we just sat there and waited for probably half an hour it was a very very long half an hour we didn't know what we were going to do and eventually the the girls got off and got on another train and got back and somehow got back to us. They they were more cool headed in the moment than Marco and I were, uh, but 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 that that's what separation does. It, 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 we don't we don't like separation, right? We're not designed for separation. Separation hurts. We were created for connection, not separation. And so since sin causes separation, we have to be good at confronting sin. Sin is the problem. Sin is really what separates us. But a lot of times we can. In the way that we confront sin, we end up causing more hurt to the relationship. You know, there's the initial sin, but then the way we deal with that sin is, you know, our own sin, and then a sin, and sin, you know, and then, and then we end up s- separated. So we absolutely must be a community that confronts sin, but how? How do we confront sin? How do we confront sin yet still have a safe space? I just want to look at two scriptures here, uh, and there's a lot more we could look at, but just two two principles that help me to think about this. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. I'm just going to put the whole scripture on the screen there. There are different categories of people when we're confronting sin. So start with who is this person? Where are they at spiritually? Paul says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Uh, the older translation of the NIV said, "Warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak," and that's something I just kind of keep in my mind. Warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, because we can—if you—if you warn a person who's weak, you can end up just driving them away, driving a wedge between you. Right. So it starts with where—where where are they at? Where—where where am I at? How can I help them with where—with whatever they're going through? Uh, I remember years ago, one of my biggest regrets uh, of my young Christian. Years as a young Bible talk leader in a college campus ministry, there was a a kid who had just gotten baptized, and uh, you know he was struggling, and but he wasn't attending things, so he wasn't showing up to midweek, wasn't showing up to Bible talk. And I remember getting him on the phone and, and challenging him, you know, because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I'm just like, kind of, hey, where are you at? Where's your convictions? You're supposed to be a disciple. I just kind of let him have it, and then he he was gone, you know. So I I messed up in that situation. That's not what he needed in that situation. He was. uh Disheartened, he was weak. He needed encouragement. He needed help. He didn't need me to like rebuke it, you know, in that moment. And so you got to start with what is this? What does this person need? Uh, turn over to Second Timothy uh, two. We're going to look at a few passages here in Second Timothy two. There's some great practical stuff here. There's some activity in our alley going on right now. It's kind of distracting me. Is everything okay? Okay, it's the business behind us. The lady who works there is. Uh, giving me an evil eye so (laughs) i hope everything's okay okay so it says uh here have nothing don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome uh so don't if if conflict is turning into quarrel there's time you just need to stop i think some people think no we got to push through to resolution well, no, I, my Bible tells me, you know, if it's becoming an argument, if it's becoming a quarrel, it's just not going to be helpful. And so you just have, it has to be okay with both, with both parties to say, let's hit pause. Let's take a break. Let's just time out. We'll, 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 we'll deal with this again. Because when you're in a quarrel mode, you're just going to make things worse uh, when you're in quarrel mode. And, uh, and so there's times when you just have to stop. And I, I just want to say, you know, I don't want to uh, be too harsh, but there's nothing in the Bible about venting. A lot of people use that term a lot. I'm just venting. Okay, well, show me the scripture where it says it's okay to vent, right? To God, yes. I mean, you read the Psalms, and the psalmists are incredibly vulnerable and real with God. In times, and sometimes the psalmist is like, God, I pray that you just smite my enemies. <laughs> Break his teeth. Yeah, what, you can be real with God, but when it comes to people, you know, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. There's a filter there in the way that we treat other people. And uh, so, that, you know, that passage that... And Marshall went through that passage. That's from Ephesians four twenty nine. It talks about, In your anger do not sin. It's not a sin to be angry, but what do you do with your anger? Right. Don't let it turn into a quarrel. But stopping, you know, when you're quarreling, that doesn't mean just stuffing. So it's not like I either have to quarrel or I have to stuff. Those are not... That's, that's a false uh, dichotomy. It's, there's something in between stuffing what you're feeling and quarreling. There's, and that's what we're talking about is how, what's the way through. Uh, and, and it gives us a little bit more, uh, more. Uh, I think, on, on this. The next passage uh, there says in verse 24, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful kind to everyone able to teach not resentful so that's the way through this is a picture of what godly confrontation looks like it's me staying able to teach able to be kind able you know if if my emotions are are where I can't I'm not in this state then that's when I probably need to hit pause um, and uh, you know it, it it can you know we can be hurt by people so it, it our emotions can get involved I mean I, I remember not too long ago maybe a year or two ago Uh, a text that Jackie sent bothered me, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and we have a great relationship with Steve and Jackie. They're best friends and, and we love working with them, love working together. And, and it was one of those things where I know it's not what she intended, but it just kept sticking with me that some of these feelings I was having. And, and, and to me, it's not like you have to confront every single thing or, but if something sticks with you for a few days or a few weeks, you know, if it's just sticking with you, it's like, okay, I need to talk about this. And it's not talk to somebody else. And we'll talk, you know, in a minute, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that passage. But that talk to that person and and I talked to her about it and she was so generous and so kind and you know it was just and and I the way I talked to her about it was look Jackie I know you didn't mean this I know you didn't intend this but here's what this makes me feel and and she was I mean we we I had tears she had tears you know it it's uh you know it's so awesome when you work through things instead of just letting them fester but you got to work through it in the in this righteous way where your your emotions don't get the better of you and uh the last part of this passage I want to look at he says Opponents Oh, I just exited the keynote or something. I'll look over there. Okay, Somehow I lost my monitor. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Now I'm not saying Jackie was captive by the devil in that moment. Um, <laughs> But there is a principle here, especially when, when someone is in sin, it, when you feel like you're, you're the injured party, uh, and that is got to leave room for God and his, his part in things. I think especially when you're trying to help someone overcome sin, we can feel like oh, it's my job to make them change. That's not your job. Whose job is that? That's God's job to grant repentance, and it's their job to come to their senses. So we can't, can't get confused with what is my part, what is god's part what is their part my part is don't quarrel don't get resentful gently instruct that's all i got to focus on god's part is to grant repentance and i can pray for that but i just focus on my part and i can't focus on their part their part is to come to their senses their part is to repent their part is to deal with their sin i got to deal with my part let them deal with their part let god deal with his part does that make sense and the golden rule is just confront sin as you would want to be confronted oh it's back thank you Confront sin as you would want to be confronted, and then you'll usually be in pretty good shape. Uh, All right, let's move on and talk about uh, how love reconciles. We talked about how sin separates. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about reconciliation. In Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24, it says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So this is uh, Jesus. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus talking. And he's giving a scenario where you know that you, you're the one who's hurt someone else. Or you know they have something against you. And it's a really interesting passage because what are you in the act of doing? You're there in the act of worshiping God. But Jesus is like, this is so important that you should just leave your act of worship and go first be reconciled. You get the idea that Jesus thinks working out our relationships is very important. I mean, that, that's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, I would almost think Jesus would say, oh, who cares about men? Worship God first. But he doesn't say that. He says, stop that very act and go work it out. And, and Peter says something about our, our marriages, how our, our, our prayers can be hindered if we have conflict in our marriages in First Peter 3, 7. When, when you're in conflict, when, you, when you've got issues, it, can, it, can, it just sticks with you. It, it can affect how you view everything. I've had times where I've conflict, you know, in the ministry... You have conflict. You deal with conflict with people, and there's times where it's like, I, I'm trying to not be consumed by it, you know. But, but, but there's this principle of, of, of go and be reconciled, work it out. Don't let uh, distance remain. If, if if there's anything you do about, it, do something about it. I I remember years ago, having conflict with uh, Marco Pelizzari, who's a great friend, another best friend. We we worked together in the ministry for many years. Um, but something a situation happened that, that it really hurt me and I had that you're canceled attitude <laughs> you know it was like okay I we're gonna be friends we work in the ministry but I am separating my heart from you because you really hurt me and I appreciate he he had this heart here he had this Matthew 5 heart Marco was like I'm not he's like this makes me feel sad no I, we, we got to work this out what can I do you know he just he was persistent he wouldn't let it go he, he, you know, he was. He, I'm so sorry about this. I'm so sorry about it. Like he, he wouldn't let there be distance in our relationship. He wouldn't leave it like that, and I really, really appreciate that. Uh, but sometimes, you know, sometimes we just can't work it out, right? So there's another principle here in Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 18 and 19 uh paul says to the romans if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my friends but leave room for god's wrath so again there's this idea of i got to do my part but leave god his part and leave the other person their part sometimes you have to be okay with it you know i've done everything i can so that's the question to ask yourself have i done everything i can as far as it depends on you, it says, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't say, you know, it's up to you to have peace with everyone. You know, no, you're not going to have peace with everyone. But as far as it depends on you, is there anything that else that you can do on your end? And you've got to leave room for God. Leave room for God's wrath, he says. That, that's, you know, if, if somebody's really wronged you, not repaying evil for evil, it says right before this. Uh, just repaying evil with good. Letting God be in charge. And trusting to God. Uh, that's what we got to do sometimes when we feel like it's not fair in marriage relationships. I have an awesome marriage, but there's still sometimes I feel like it's not fair. You know, if we had conflict, but I have to let that go immediately. Like when I have that thought, it's not fair. I let that go immediately. Like it does, who cares about how much is my fault or how much is her fault? Like Jesus took all the blame, right? And so I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And so I should just, whatever the conflict, I need to take all the blame. And Dessa has the same attitude. She wants to own things but but you know there's a common thing sometimes uh when i talk to people in their marriages or or where they want that perfect apology you know a lot of times what guys do is you know guys are usually a little more uh we throw a little bit more of a fit when we're wronged you know and so then we're like you know we want the apology so then we point out what's wrong but then we over point it out right and then it becomes i know i get it you know and it's like but then you then you missed out on your apology you know and uh Sometimes you're just not going to get the perfect apology, but you, as far as it depends on you, you gotta be at peace. The other day, Dessa apologized for something. I don't even remember what it was for, but I had already moved on in my heart. We talked about something. I was like, I had already kind of moved on. You know, she sort of took responsibility for it. It was, you know, usually it's me that bothers her, but you know, I don't even remember what it was. But but then a little bit later, she apologized. We were in the room. And she goes, "Oh, I'm sorry about that. You felt this," and it was just like. Oh, I love that. That was a bonus apology, but I wasn't expecting it. You know, I wasn't demanding it. It was just like this extra, extra apology bonus. So thank you for that, honey. Sure. I don't know if you remember what that was, Tony. I don't even know. All right. Well, let's move on to to Matthew 18. Uh, we don't have time to really dig into to Matthew 18. We could do a whole lesson on Matthew 18, but this is a, a familiar passage to those who've been in the church for a while about how to work things out. Jesus says, "If your brother or sister sins," Uh, brother or sister denotes someone in the church, uh, someone else, a, a, a fellow disciple, sins against you. A lot of manuscripts say sins against you. So this is really about conflict. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's so easy to jump that first step. It's so easy to want to just get other people involved, right, when you have conflict, and not, at least, try to work it out. Try to go just to that person. Uh, you know, there might be times you need to get advice from a trusted advisor, especially if it's a really challenging situation, and it's not gossip, but you're just trying to get help with how do I talk to the person. I get that. But but so many of us, it's, we, we never talk to that person, and we just talk to other people. Uh, or we try to find commonality with someone who's had the same experience with that person. or You know what I mean? Like, that's just not right that does not build up the body of christ this this is here for a reason go just between the two of you you got to make that first step and if you're moving to the second step of bringing someone along that that person should know that you've tried the first step you know (laughs) they should know that you've tried it you know uh gina and i have a great working relationship and i remember one time she wanted she wanted to talk to me about something and she said i want to talk to you about something but i don't know how you're going to handle it and i that i get that you know i can sometimes be bristly and i'm trying to work on that and she said, so I'm thinking of trying to have these other people involved in the conversation. And I just remember saying, hey, can we just try first? <laughs> you know, can we just try it? And then I think it went well, you know. Gina says, yes, we're good, uh, we're good you know. We've, this isn't the first time we've talked about that. Yeah, right? so <laughs> <laughs> Gina and I have had a few conflicts. <laughs> but, but I appreciate that, that she was willing to give me a chance, you know. And then if, I, if, if she had to escalate it, fine. If she had to escalate it fine, but at least I know she tried, and from her perspective, it didn't work, and now she's got to get some self involved. Amen, that's fine, but I want to at least get a chance. you know I want to at least get a chance to to hear what what the issue is and try to respond uh, humbly um, and 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 it doesn't always have to be this big issue like i I've, I've probably shared this story before. I, I like the story because it's such a minor, kind of dumb thing, but it was sticking in my heart, and this is uh something that happened with Kevin Maines who i love god bless him uh he's in heaven now, or in paradise now with the lord awesome uh spiritual leader uh discipled me for many years in the church and, and trained me in the ministry but he would leave these voicemails uh for me and uh so he would you know this is before texting so it's a while ago but he would leave a voicemail hey brian i will try to get a hold of you blah blah, blah. I Want i ask you about something then he would call back maybe you know Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes later, leave another voicemail. Hey Brian, I'm trying to get a hold of you. Another I and mean, He might leave four or five voicemails, uh, you know, in the course of a couple hours. And I had little kids, you know, I, other stuff going on. So I, so I would, he would leave them maybe over the course of two hours, leave four voicemails. So from his perspective, he's just trying to get a hold of me, right? And he wants to know that he loves me and he's trying to get a hold of me, you know. But from my perspective, I get back to my phone and I have four, four or five voicemails from Kevin. And I listened to them one after another, just trying to get hold of you. just you know, it's Kevin again, you know whatever. And, it's like, and it made me feel like I'm doing something wrong by not answering my phone. Uh, you know Kevin is feeling like, why are you not you know available when I'm trying to get a hold of you? What's wrong with you? You're not a hard worker? What, I, just all this stuff. And I tried to you know brush it off, but it, it just kept sticking with me, And what I wanted to do so bad was talk to other people about it. Like I wanted to talk to Marco or some of the other ministers about, it. hey, does Kevin do this for you? Ah, uh, yeah, it bothers me. Ah, uh, yeah, Kevin, he's funny. You know, what? Like, I wanted so much to talk to other people about it and not to talk to Kevin about it because it was just kind of a dumb thing. But I just made myself talk to Kevin about it. I was just like, okay, Kevin, I know you didn't mean this, but here's how it feels when I'm listening to these voicemails back to I feel like I'm not working hard enough. I'm not answering my phone when I should be, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just trying to spend time with my kids and have my phone turned off. And, and you know, Kevin's response, of course, is just like, oh. <laughs> So sorry, Brian. You know, I just do I think do I think Brian Craig works hard. Oh, Brian Craig works so hard, so amazing, so incredible. <laughs> yeah, this is like on and on. And on. Like okay, Gavin. Okay, okay. I feel good now. You know? uh, but just you know, but it was just the godly. It was so much better to talk to him about it. You know, even though I was so tempted not to. Uh, okay, I've lost my place because I didn't get to staple my. Give me a minute here. Okay, talked about that talked about (laughs) normally I staple my paper but Marshall was in his room and I couldn't get the stapler this morning talked about that okay you guys still with me okay okay so I want to talk about uh, this 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 real quick I'm running out of time but this uh, this uh, little framework that Joe Collins came up with uh, from Joe Collins is another disciple in the north region, a, a, a leader in, the, in our, church, our church here in L.A., a uh, minister. And this is loosely based on uh, the persistent widow, the story of the persistent widow of Luke, in Luke 18, where what was her problem? She, did, she wanted justice. She wasn't getting justice. And so what, what Joe Collins says is the key to truly resolving conflict is for the offending, offended person to give the injured person justice, for the offending person to give the injured person justice. Justice and usually this is a two-way street and so he uh, he came up with this uh, Exercise to kind of give each person a chance to take the other person's complaint one at a time and give justice in that area So he has these four steps number one you take the order number two you verify the order number three you give justice and then you make amends I like the the terminology of taking the order, cause it's like, okay, that puts me in a position of I'm serving you now. I want to, wh- what is it? How, how, what am, what are you feeling? How have I hurt you? Let me take your order. You know, so it might be, uh, take the order. This is a time for, for them to explain what you did wrong without you defending yourself. So maybe Dessa's feeling like, uh, I said we were gonna go to dinner, but I played on my computer instead. That, that hasn't happened, but let's invent that. So, so, and she's feeling mad and I don't know why. So, okay, let me take your order. What, what are you feeling? And then she tells me what she's feeling and then I verify the order. Okay, so what I hear you saying is this and you repeat back to them, you reflect back to them what you're hearing them say. And a lot of times you're going to be wrong. And a lot of times what you want to do is kind of twist it. Oh, you're saying that I'm a horrible husband because I planned, because I didn't take you to dinner. <laughs> no. I didn't say you're a horrible husband, I just said, well, you know, so you you kind of get the order right, you know, and then you give justice. This is where you own your own guilt. You're right. I I told you we were going to do this, and then I did that, and, and I could see how that would make you feel this, and I'm sorry. Uh, and then you make amends. Only after you've kind of talked that through and given justice, you've acknowledged what they're feeling, can you make amends and truly apologize for what you've done wrong. And... Again, we don't have the time to give this that it deserves, but it's a great model if you if you you know jot those bullet points down, try that out with your spouse or with your kid or with your roommate or with your coworker. Uh it's a great framework for resolving conflict. Open, kind conversations can have such a tremendous uh, impact in, in, in lives. Resolving conflict can be a huge way of the a huge aspect of the way God builds his church. You know, working through things, this is what is a testimony to to the world that we're disciples of Jesus is by our love for one another. Um, There's a guy named Daryl Davis. This challenged me so much, uh, and I encourage you to watch this on your own. There's There's a link in the video description. He gave a TED Talk, Why I as a Black Man Attend KKK Rallies. That's the title of his YouTube video. He explains how he became friends with the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Here's a quote from Daryl Davis. I thought, you know what? Who better to ask, how can you hate me when you don't even know me, than someone who would join an organization whose historical premise has been hating those who do not look like them and who do not believe as they believe. As we, and we conversed, agreed on some things, disagreed on other things. I wasn't there to fight him. I was there to learn from him. Where does this ideology come from? Because once you learn where it comes from, you can then try to figure out how to address it and see where it's going. Man, what a spiritual man! <laughs> what a what an upward call! I mean, uh, the, my conflict-avoider nature is so challenged by that. Uh, that imperial wizard's name is Roger Kelly, and he is no longer a member of the clan, all because Mr. Davis befriended him and really heard him out. Rally after rally, year after year. You know, Mr. Davis, Daryl Davis said, "How can I meet someone else?" Where they're at, that is a challenge, right? That is a challenge because most clansmen are met with disdain, with disgust, with, oh, how could you? You're a horrible, horrible person. And yet here's a guy who's like, no, I, you're a human being and I want to hear you out. I want to try to understand your worldview. And it transformed this guy. It's amazing. And so it's a scary and it's a messy proposition. But what if we really were able to work through conflict and, and, and walk alongside people who we even disagree with in Christian harmony? Talking regularly about topics maybe where we differ and disagree, but we're able to really listen to each other. We're able to really, uh, and, and even bold enough to say where we disagree, but we're able to, 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 to walk that together. You know, that's, that's the beautiful church, right? It's a diverse group of people with all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of different backgrounds, even maybe different uh, beliefs about certain things. There's certain things that are, you know, it's Bible, book, chapter, verse, but there's a lot of gray area. You know, just read Romans 14 and you'll see what that's all about. And so, you know, even our Bible talks that we've been doing on cultural humility, this week really digs into that. Uh, What do you do? Are you willing to learn from people who are not like you? And are you willing to have that kind of humble posture towards people who are not like you? Uh, One assignment I want to leave you with before we uh, pray for communion is uh, to look through uh, uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is a passage we all know, the acts of the sinful nature, the, the fruits of the Spirit. But the context of Galatians 5 is talking about Relationships. It's talking about freedom in Christ, but how in that freedom we can hurt each other. Because you're going to go, ah, I'm, I'm free in Christ, and so then we, I'm, you can blast people or you can hurt people. And so he, he talks about how, how do we use our freedom? And the acts of the sinful nature. Look at that sin list and think, what is, what do these do to relationships? What does sexual sin do to relationships? Uh, factions, envy, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. You know, those are the those are mostly all relig- uh, relationship sins that cause separation. And then the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Reflect on what do those do in relationship. Those fruits of the Spirit really, uh, they shine in relationship. It's hard to have patience all alone. I mean, you know, it's hard to have love all alone. Uh, these are things that are, are reflected in the way that we treat others in the church. So uh, just an assignment for you to look through Galatians 5 and, and, and reflect on that on your own in terms of your own relationships, the sinless and the fruitless. Because sin separates but love reconciles. Uh, as we pray for communion, uh, you know, the Matthew 18, where we were just reading, it continues with uh, the story of the unmerciful servant. And the, 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 the reason is is because Jesus' disciples were challenged by this teaching of forgiveness. Because uh, he says there that we need to forgive uh, right after this. Peter says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, "Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times." Or it can even be taken to mean seventy times seven. In the parallel passage in Luke 17, Peter says, "Lord, increase our faith." They're all the disciples. Increase our faith. It's hard to have relationships. What makes it power, uh, possible? It's through Christ. It's because we've been forgiven so much. And so the parable of the unmerciful servant is is this awful story. But it's about somebody who, you know, has been given so much, but is like. Trying to demand something from someone else who owes him very, very little in comparison. That's what, how Jesus views us when we won't forgive, when we won't reconcile, when we won't work it out. Jesus is going, you've been given so much. We've been reconciled to God by grace. And so understanding grace, recognizing grace is really what allows us to have the freedom to view ourselves, honestly. To, to, to own our own sin. Grace is the place to face the real you. When you realize what God has given you, how God views your sin and loves you anyway, then you can take responsibility for your sin and work it out with your brother or sister. But it starts with that uh, great, healthy uh, understanding of grace in your, in your own relationship with God. Grace allows you to have uh, resolution in relationships. Instead of trying to fight for, your own, for yourself, you go, God loves me, God sees, God knows, and there's nothing to prove and there's nothing to lose because I'm loved by an amazing God who reconciled me by his son. So with that, let's pray for our uh, time of communion together. God, we just want to thank you for your amazing grace that reconciles us back into a relationship with you. That that uh, separation, that sin caused, and we see right there in the early chapters of the Bible, is restored. That intimacy of the Garden of Eden is restored through Jesus and his blood. He was perfect, so we don't have to be perfect. He died so that we don't have to die, God, but we, our sins are covered by his amazing uh, sacrifice, his amazing body and blood given for us. Thank you for this time to be able to remember Jesus and his body and blood given for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.